Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. And thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, we thank you so much for these interviews with the angels. And um, we ask, Lord, that you uh, bless us mightily with understanding of their purpose and um, and their uh, fighting for us as we speak the words of faith and give commands of faith. Thank you so much, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to continue with Ministering Angels through UBM. This will be number three. And um, we called this uh, Questions and Answers with the Angels, number two. So, uh, Eva's going to have some uh, notes in here, and um, uh, I've got some comments too. So, listen in. It's very interesting. The angels told us that they go out at our commands. Some people disagree with that, but they disagree with them. Uh, Hebrews 1 and 14 says, Are they, that is the angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to do service for the sake of them that shall inherit salvation? And also Psalm 103, 20 and 21 says, Bless the Lord. Ye his angels, that are mighty in strength, that fulfill his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. So we, as his body, are to speak his words. And uh, it goes on to say, Bless the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. They fulfill the will of God. And especially when they hear it coming out of our mouths, right? People tend to hold angels in high esteem, but Baruch, one of the angels that's interviewed today, said, We are soldiers and servants of our Lord and King and of the saints here of UBM. We are not to be held in high esteem or prayed to. Uh, Well, this is biblical. Angels were created to be servants of God and of the sons of God in whom the Son of God dwells, right? They go out or are sent forth by our commands that are in alignment to the spoken word mingled with our faith. We must uh, verbally speak these prayers uh, and commands with faith and uh, the authority that Christ has bestowed upon all believers. He uh, died and now lives in us through the power of His Spirit. And he assured his disciples that they have this same power. The only thing left is to believe it and to speak it into existence. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, And this is the boldness which we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, 
we know that we have the petitions which we have asked of him. And Romans two twelve and 2 says, And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Whether things manifest instantly or not, our commands will come to pass. Uh, sometimes the delay is a test of our faith. We have to, faith without works is dead. Well, Mark 11 and 23 says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he saith cometh to pass, he shall have it. And I want to tell you, the angels fulfill these things. And Eve said, um, I was in my house and wondering to myself in general about the three angels who are stationed at David's house. Uh, we have a, a, actually five angels stationed here, but these three of the Lord has permitted to speak to us. Okay. Uh, about their functions and chain of command and the extent of their knowledge, etc. And then I saw a vision of Baruch in the balcony of David's house. So she was in her house seeing this vision in her house. Uh, and he spoke to my mind. Uh, well, first I want to explain balcony. We jokingly call this a balcony because it is a second floor walkway between two second floor rooms, which is uh, over the living room. It's an open space over the living room that you can see back and forth, you know. And two of the angels stand at each end of this uh, walkway watching over us below. And we knew that their presence and ability to communicate from within my house was not limited to my house as we see here when they showed up in Eve's house, the vision of what we see here in her house. Three angels address our questions below, which I'm going to share with you. The angel Baruch said, We are soldiers and servants of our Lord and King, and of the servants and of the saints here of UBM. We are not to be held in high esteem or prayed to. We are of a lower rank in order of angels as you would consider rank. We go out at your commands of faith in agreement with the Word and the will of your Father and the Son. Much of what we know is given on a need-to-know basis, as it is with earthly militaries. We have been created with specific powers as it relates to our functions and the knowledge required to carry them out with regards to the saints here in this ministry. Sadly, we are not activated and sent out to the fullest extent. Well, my comment is we, we all need to send the angels more to do spiritual warfare and to carry out things that we are not capable of doing. Uh, many times you just speak against the mountain and the angels go to carry it out. It's not that you specifically have to command the angels, but when you speak it, they are uh, observant to it and they go and do it. As we just read, you know. The saints are not as heavenly-minded and spiritually aware as they should be, he says, nor do they understand or believe in the power and authority that has been bestowed upon them by the Father 
through his son. Yes. You know, for instance, uh, we saw the wicked uh, were trying to bring curses in their phys- into this physical realm against us. But some don't see that witchcraft is behind the scene and don't send the angels to oppose it. As a matter of fact, we our, our vehicles started breaking down little things here and there, you know. And so we went out and commanded them to be healed because we knew that witchcraft was behind it and they were healed. So uh, there, he went on to say, their eyes were cast down as well as their spirits as they dwell on human weaknesses and earthly matters. There is a time coming soon when the fire of our God will be sent down upon his people and the events we've spoken to you about previously will begin to take place. Supernatural gifting and abilities will be bestowed upon the saints by angels with these assignments. Well, some don't know that angels manifest the gifts. Yes, and the scripture actually says that. These angels will have greater freedom with regards to the appearances and communications with the saints. They will have the command to assist and equip the saints in their end-time assignments and giftings, but instructions will still be given to the saints on a need-to-know basis because of the nature of mankind and of the limitations of their vessels. Currently, we would like to be employed more. Much can be done to mitigate the plans of Satan and those who serve him. Much of his planning and attacks can be thwarted if the saints will go on the offensive and put on the mantle of Jesus the Christ who is their Savior and Defender. He is our Sovereign General, and His orders will always be carried out through His saints without fail. You hear that? If you don't say it, somebody else will have to, or it won't be said. The enemy has veiled the minds of the saints as to know as to how much power they truly have. He has succeeded in convincing them of their human frailty and weaknesses. Prayers of power mingled with faith are a rarity. This is because of fears, doubts, unbelief, and double-mindedness, as well as distractions of the enemy. Well, these are demons, of course, fear, doubt, unbelief, so on. These are demons that can be cast out, as well as human fallen nature, okay, which can be repented of. Okay, the saints must fight with their faith in the Word of God. They must fight to hold on to the truth of revelations that they have received from the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah, we must uh, swing our sword by faith that it is irresistible by the enemy, right? He went on to say they must employ us to go out with their prayers and commands of faith. This is our function and the reason we are stationed here in this place. But let me say, other angels are stationed where you are, saints, and you need to send them, right? We have been allowed to make our presence known and to have a limited dialogue with you so that the saints of this ministry know and understand the importance of these things and will have a greater awareness of spiritual matters and the heavenly agenda. We are all warriors assigned to fight the enemies on behalf of UBM. I, 
Baruch uh, in their personal lives, Shemuel in government, church, and state arenas, and Jeruel uh, seals the deal and tidies up with their praises and thanksgivings. We'll see that as we go on. And Eve said here, she said, Then I saw a vision of Jeruel hammering the final nails in a wooden coffin of the enemy. Amen. So then the angel Jeruel said, I am commanded to pour out anointings upon the saints here. Eve said, I asked Father if this invitation was extended to all the saints of larger UBM as well, and received a yes. And this is why I've appeared unto you so often holding the jug of anointing oil. The Son desires that you all walk in His anointing, gifts, and in His power. My Lord has told me to tell you all, sacrifice your flesh on the altar for a week, and on the eighth day you will meet with the saints or in your home. And this will be a meeting of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, of praise and thanksgivings, and a time of blessing the great God our Father and your Father and King. Do not withhold anything of yourselves and your hearts in worship to Him, but with abandonment of self give all. Jerul said, I am to be among your praises and worships, uh, pouring out the anointing oil upon your heads. This will bring about a mighty shift in the power among you in the spirit realm. The sacrifice required for the seven days and into the eighth include all things fleshly and earthly in nature. Husbands and wives must abstain from all fleshly intimacies. Food and water will be partaken of sparingly, and all devices of man will not be used for entertainment and distractions for your minds. Spend all spare time in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving to your Father and His Son, our great General, and your King, your Master and Savior. Okay, David asked, uh, what will the eighth day anointings involve? And Jerul said, spiritual restorations and healings, as well as physical healings with faith and anointings of gifts for the body and uh, greater body ministry. Then he added, faith is imperative. Ask your father for more faith. Well, Father, I do, I pray right now that for all the saints that are listening, that you, they will be filled with your faith to go and act upon these words from Him. Amen. He will give it to you as much as you are willing to receive. Many are c comfortable where they are at, at and uh, fearful to receive more faith and power from God because it will make them more responsible to be moved out of their comfort zones and into more maturity and the unknown of total abandonment to the will of God and His ways. These fears are strongholds in many lives and keep the saints from progressing in the purposes of God. And one, of course, is spiritual warfare. And David asked, Eve, do you have a question? And Eve said, I was wondering more about the eighth day 
of the fast when we all come together in praise and worship and what that will look like. And I had a vision of Jeruel standing between David and Michael, holding the anointing jug, one hand on the handle and the other supporting the base. And I knew he would begin with David and then Michael and then proceed to different ones around the room in order of their faith and the conditions of each heart. Then Jeruel spoke to me and said, Those who are empty will go away full, and those who are full will go away empty, or with little. And I guess you can figure out what that means, of course. Uh, if you don't need any more, or want any more, or afraid of more, you won't get it. Well, those who, uh, who empty their vessels, he says, of fear, doubt, unbelief, and double-mindedness, and come truly hungry and thirsty for the gifts of God to serve others and his kingdom, will be filled with anointing to the fullest. Perfect love for their Father and our great God casts out fear, and with fear goes doubt, unbelief, double-mindedness. Those who hang on to self-will, pride, uh, will not give up control over their own lives and who insist on continuing to be their own masters will not receive or will receive little according to the conditions of their own hearts, which the great God and King knows. For he searches the hearts of men, looking for empty vessels to fill for his purposes and his glory. This requires an obedient servant's heart, a willing vessel crying out, Here am I, send me. I give you a confirmation of this a few days ago. I flipped my Bible up and stuck my finger on those words. <laughs> Not my own will, but yours, Lord. These can be trusted with so great gifts and anointings. Amen. And Eve said, I want to encourage everyone with a dream the Lord gave me back on 8 322 before the angels began this free and open dialogue with us. I believe it has a corporate meaning for us all. Um, and we called that dream, An Angel Pours Repentance Into Weak and Humble Hearts. Eve Brast, 8.3.22. And I believe Eve here is representing the corporate bride body of the last Adam, Jesus. Uh, an angel of his presence appeared in front of me and said, There are five things you need to repent of. Fear, doubt, unbelief, unforgiveness, and double-mindedness. I was surprised and sat there searching my heart and mind, and I knew that I was still battling these on a daily basis with the exception of unforgiveness, which I was, wasn't aware of at all. I had been doing my best to cast these temptations of the enemy and focus on the promises to me in God's Word. I believe because well, part of this is because she's being used here as uh, Eve, the, the uh, bride of the last Adam, and so it really counts for all of those who are the bride. Right? I told the angel that I would need his help to overcome these things because evidently I couldn't tackle these struggles on my own, and I asked him to help me. Then he poured forth his hands uh, this warm, 
yellow golden light uh, that penetrated into my head and flowed down into my heart. It filled my head and my heart with true heartfelt repentance. It was painful at first, and it felt like my head and heart would burst with the pressure and pain as I, care, as I cried with deep, heavy sobs and words of true repentance. But once I got it all out, I felt so free and joyful. So much relief and weight came off my chest, and I felt light, and I knew that I was truly delivered from these five things that had badgered me since childhood. Well, I guess they badger everybody. You know, they attempt to uh, draw our attention away from the Lord, right? Uh, So she says, Praise the Lord for His grace and mercy poured out upon weak, humble, and willing hearts. Thank you, Father, that you will put in us your heart and desire to serve our brethren in greater body ministry and to put away all ego and selfish desire. Thank you for for filling us all to the fullness measure as each vessel can contain according to your will and purposes for each life in service to you and your kingdom people. In Jesus' name, amen. And Eve said, Ask Shemuel if he had anything to say. And he said, A great move of God is coming upon the younger generations. There is a mildew and rottenness that has been cast upon this crop by Satan, a perpetual darkness so that the sun has not shone upon them. And he uses the word S-O-N. They languish and rot in the field, and their fruit is poisoned. But the sun is coming to shine down upon them, and he will burn up all the disease and mildew of their lives, and the heat of his fire will burn through them and cleanse and restore them to purpose they were created for. There has never been a revival like this that will sweep the whole earth. This will be entirely an act of God, supernatural and undeniable, he will not forsake the youth of this final generation. And David asked, Shemuel uh, said that there were many casualties in the enemy's camp. Have any of the factious leaders died? And uh, Baruch said, No deaths yet. They are all under curses, which include sicknesses, diseases, maladies of the soul and spirit, and the torments of being cut off from fellowship with God, emptiness and loneliness. Their Jesus does not love them. He emphasizes their Jesus does not love them. They are casualties in spirit and soul. Uh, the setbacks refer to demonic plans of uh, attack that are constantly thwarted by your prayers and battles in the spirit realm. As you know, there have been many deaths in the political arena and setbacks to demonic plans for the near future. Well, we've been told uh, that this is a type and shadow for what is going to happen in the spirit realm with us, you know, as far as the demons being conquered. And David asked, uh, what does the coming restoration involve personally? Thirty years younger? (laughs) 
<laughs> and Jerul said, Restoration on a DNA cellular level. Faith and power will be imputed to receive healing and restoration. It will be complete restoration, not partial. Whoa. The first fruits are first. They will be the trailblazers. They will be a mighty supernatural outpouring of spiritual restoration of closeness to God through His Holy Spirit. And David asked, When will the Lord restore our teeth? That was the question that came to me. And Baruch said, uh, When the DNA restoration takes place, place, teeth will be restored as well. And David asked, Will the faction be able to redeem their stolen uh, money? And uh, Baruch said, No. They are already scattered, and all their plans are null and void. They will not prosper financially or in health. Everything they touch is cursed for your sakes. And Eve said, I understood that they meant that the Lord has frustrated their purposes and discouraged their drive to assemble against us. Yes. And David said, I have thought when the Lord comes in his man-child body that he is going to smite the Edomite factions. I thought that this would include the death of some of their leadership. And Baruch said, Our Lord is very long-suffering, and even with the wicked. Some will die, but many will be snatched from the jaws of hell at the last moments. So David asked, You mean the last moments before death? And, and Baruch said, Yes, their eyes have been blinded by the enemy, but mercy will be granted to them in the end through much suffering. And David asked, Would you say a larger proportion will die from the leaderships of the factions? In other words, back since 2011, we've been tested with this, right? And Baruch said, Yes, they have been reprobated because they are held to a higher accounting. And Eve said, I understood that they meant that they have caused many to stumble and fall away from the love of God and the truth of his word. I want to say Eve's notes, last couple of notes and some more, are when God speaks to her mind also, not just the angels, right? And David asked, So is the wrath of our Father and our Lord Jesus now being poured out on the factious false Christians? Is this happening to our local faction, the faction against our missionaries? and the factious cults around the world who have been crucifying the true Christians. Are Judas, Absaloms, Hamans, who went out from among us, about to meet their end by their own hands? Baruch said, This is not a happening that is poured out all at once. Of course, it's progressive, right? God deals with each of his creatures of mankind individually. Each of them will receive their recompense in due time, some sooner than others, as the patience of God draws to a close in each life. Personal judgments are meted out according to the wickedness in each heart, according to each of their doings. And uh, I, will, I will just give you Matthew 7 and 2 says, 
For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you. And, of course, the Lord spoke to Abraham, who is our father because of faith, and he said, I will curse them that curse you. If there is goodness to be found in those among them, he said, any redeemable qualities of the heart, these ones will shall be spared from eternal destruction. His mercy truly triumphs over judgment and a smoldering wick he will not quench. In due time, when it has been determined that their sufferings or self-will and disobedience have come to a close, our God and theirs will lift the veil from their minds and their understanding, and the light of truth will shine upon them. Yes, this is what happens when the demons come in. Their conscience is totally gone. It's seared. And God can reverse that process when they've gone through enough suffering that they are ready to repent, right? He said they will be granted repentance as each one comes to the end of their trials. Some will return in life and be added or restored to the body, and others will be reconciled to God in death. Our God is long-suffering with the wicked and very merciful, even with the reprobated, whose end is eternal damnation. They will have no excuse or defense before our God, for their own selves will condemn them that they have done evil. And David asked, We recently had a dream that the angels would go forth and round up the mad dogs and incarcerate them until the time that their lethal injections took effect. We took the incarceration to mean that we should bind them, which we did. Would you comment on this? And Baruch said, As I have told you, much can be done to mitigate the plans of Satan and those who serve him. Much of his planning and attacks can be thwarted if the saints here will go on the offensive and put on the mantle of Jesus the Christ, who is their Savior and Defender. He is our Sovereign General, and His orders will always be carried out through His saints without fail. The saints must fight with their faith in and of the Word of God. They must fight to hold on to the truth of revelations that they have received from the Holy Spirit of God. They must employ us to go out with their prayers and commands of faith. This is our function and the reason we are stationed here in this place. But as we mentioned earlier, other angels are stationed where the saints need them to be, right? In other words, all of the saints have angels, right? Angel or angels. Now, David asked, We know our Lord told us to send no curses to the wicked apostates. But we were recently shown in dreams that the faction were hurling witchcraft curses against us, but the angels were catching their, their curses and throwing them back upon them with many casualties. Is this now happening? And Brooke said, This has been happening and will continue. For we are commanded by our Sovereign General, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be very vigilant and fierce in defending this ministry. 
We meet each attack with the same force and intensity that it is sent, and thus it returns upon their own heads. Our God will not permit their curses to alight upon you. Only don't give permission for them to penetrate our ranks by attributing more power to them than they have. For the only power the enemy has is what you give to him, as I've taught many times. And the territory that you surrender to him in your souls through paranoia, fears, doubts, and unbelief. In this way, we are hindered from fully repelling the attacks and chaos and confusion results. Uh, David prayed and asked, O merciful Father, please protect the innocent children among these people. Please deliver your elect among them who are deceived but are now humbled, and grant them repentance. Please cause all of your righteous people to forgive their crucifiers. Would you comment on this? Baruch said, All the children who were drawn away unwillingly and deceived by these evil factions and their leadership will be spared and will enter eternal life. Jesus loves the children and ever intercedes for them before the Father. But the children will suffer in this life for a time as a punishment on their parents who were the cause of this tragedy. Once they have been purified in the fire of their own journeys to relationship with their father and his son, they will be reconciled to him. Remember what Shemuel said, A great move of God is coming upon the younger generations. In other words, the millennials, the Generation Z, so on, you know. And David asked, Is there anyone among us that is in danger of faction now? And Baruch said, No. And David asked, What can you tell us about the supernatural methods to get the gospel out and heal, deliver, and save? Baruch said, The methods of man will not be employed to reach the peoples of the earth in the days that are coming. The methods are all of the spirit realm and will be administered by the angels who are going to distribute the gifts to the saints, meaning the sanctified ones. These include gifts of translation from place to place, languages, healings, laying on of hands to impart to others their needs and what they're lacking, and to replicate the gifts by passing them on to others whom the angels will point out. Supernatural downloads of wisdom and knowledge will be received for specific situations. Well, I, I can tell you that we have seen God multiply books. We sent one lady out with, I think, 12 books, and she passed out. 48, if I remember correctly. And uh, every time she would reach in her bag, there would be more. Or in a drawer, there would be more. God does this. Put, uh, send the angels to put the books in the hands of the people that need them. This is what we've been doing. God asked, what about, excuse me, David asked, <laughs> what about deliverances? And Baruch said, The enemy will be on the run during this time. Deliverances will be instantaneous with no resistance on their part. 
Well, we know that many deliverances are this way now if there's cooperation on the part of the victim in repentance and faith. He said they will no longer be able to hide in flesh because of the light of revival and the fire of truth that will sweep the elect of the globe. And Eve said, I understood that he meant that the demons will be fleeing left and right out of people as the true fire of the Holy Spirit fills each one and searches the depths of each individual. There won't be any place for them to hide in the elect of God. And David asked, Will there be mass healings and deliverances? Baruch said, Yes, these will all take place on the largest scale in human history. And Eve said, I understood that he meant that the masses of people will be supernaturally delivered and healed all at once for time's sake because the need is so great and the darkness so pervasive. And yes, and I have seen that as we speak to audiences, large audiences, and command this, that the deliverances will come in mass and the healings will come in mass. And David asked, Can we believe God even now for the books to be multiplied and placed supernaturally in the possession of the people who need them? And Baruch said, Yes, we have done this before on a limited basis, but we will go forth with your commands to multiply and provide the materials even now. So we have done this before, and that's what he's talking about, and we're going to do it some more. Amen. And Eve said, I understood that this is very important to Jesus. It is his will that all who are hungry for him and truth will be filled. We must command this with unwavering faith, and it will be done. Amen. We do send the angels to bring these books and the Bible itself to the people in need and place them in their hands or in their uh, possessions. David asked, Can you tell us about our new headquarters? Can you tell us when we will receive it and how much to offer them? And Baruch said, You've been told the ministry will receive it when the man-child comes. Yes, that's true. I'm told to tell you to offer $43 million for it. And David asked, Will they accept this offer? And Baruch said, yes, because it is decreed. David asked, can you tell us more about the headquarters Father has promised us and its use concerning the ministry? And Baruch said, it will be the headquarters for the refuge and the revival. It will be a university for training in spiritual gifts and ministry to send out disciples to administer the gifts bestowed upon the first fruits. Occupational trainings will not be necessary and will not be the focus in the coming revival. Well, our focus, by the way, uh, was uh, to use this on a small scale to minister to people. And they get free training, and we get to preach the gospel to them. <laughs> Eve said, I understood that we will have grace and a covering from God to focus on what is important for his kingdom people, teaching people 
Life skills to help supply physical needs will be in order for a short time. Uh, gardening, mechanical skills, carpentries, machinists, etc. Different things. I understood there's two periods of time here being spoken of. One is soon after the man-child comes, and there is devastation and disruption in people's lives, and they begin to seek out the refuges with the guidance of the angels. This is the period of meeting physical needs and teaching life skills and the importance of body ministry. This is for the people who are chosen to come to the refuges. Later, when the great revival sweeps through, the angels will become much more intimately involved with the saints and mankind. This is when we will need less of the physical things and more supernatural occurrences will be happening to enable us to be used to get the gospel out to the whole earth and the message of God's mercy and love and hope for eternity to the lost who are hopeless and suffering. These are the survivors of the initial devastation outside of the refuges on a mass scale. And David asked, Will the provisions come soon? And Baruch said, The provisions will come, but not in the way mankind has planned. The evil cabal has put in place the cashless system that this beast has prepared for absolute control and and domination over the peoples of the earth. And this, of course, is as we have taught, you know, uh, that all this is leading to. Okay? God has the timing for when this system will, will be implemented, but this will not be favorable to Christians. He means in the natural realm, right? Everything is favorable to Christians, except in in the natural realm we see it as they're going out to go against the Christians, obviously. But God is not limited to make provisions for His people. God is allowing a wilderness for the purpose of stretching and growing the faith of His first fruits. That's happening now. And And I believe He is including the bride body here, not just the head, which is the man child, right? And he went on to say, this includes the missionaries overseas. Amen. So David asked, will the monies that will be given the ministry to be part of the provision, uh, be part of the provision? And Baruch said, yes. Our dreams show this provision. Our dreams have shown that this provision, and, uh, and I believe it is represented in Scripture to us that Cyrus Trump will plunder Babylon's stolen wealth in order to build the kingdom. And David asked, Will the faction be able to use their stolen money? And Baruch said, No, they are already scattered, and all of their plans are null and void. They will not prosper financially or in health. Everything they touch is cursed for your sakes. He said, I understood that the Lord has frustrated their purposes and discouraged their drive to assemble against us. Yes, amen. And David asked, is the debt cancellation real and really going to happen? And Baruch said, it is a deception. The only jubilee belongs to God your Father. And by the way, he gives it to you. 
saints of God. Baruch said, What the missionaries are going through currently is a part of God's work in them. He has all provision, and it will be provided in His timing. This time of lack, loss, and suffering is necessary for them to grow in faith and maturity. We have said that their faith for provision must be in God and not in us. And I said that several times here recently. He went on to say they are his missionaries and he has a great plan for their ministries. They must pass the tests and uh, that could be tests of failure, of deprivation, of all kinds of tests, right? And hold fast to their faith and hope in the gospel. They must endure these trials and place their hope and faith in God and not man. Amen. And David asked, Will you go over there and help them with materials, etc.? Baruch said, Other angels over them in their respective countries. So, David asked, Will you fill them with the Holy Spirit? Baruch said, Jesus will appear to them as he did to the other missionaries on the other continent, and they will have a Pentecost experience. He will fill them with the Holy Spirit. Tell them to fast and pray as the other missionary in his church did, and uh, press in to seek the Lord for this visitation and infilling. They will need this for the times ahead. And David said, The large eagle that flew just behind my house was very unusual on an eye level with me and just a few feet from me. Is there a message that goes with this? And Baruch said, It is a sign of the man-child Jesus returning in his reformers. Eve said, I remember the account that Anna Roundtree gave of the white eagle that Jesus had taken the form of, and she flew with him to the eagle's nest. <laughs> he asked her if she was willing to eat from the hand of God and become one of his golden eagles. Well, let me tell you, the man-child is going to be feeding from the hand of God. Amen. David asked, Do you have something to say to our brethren that will encourage them in their trials? And Baruch said, All encouragement is written in the Word. They must stay in the Word. All provision and safety and victory comes through faith and the spoken Word. Amen. David said, Some of the brethren have sacrificed everything to supply the needs of the missionaries. Will it be multiplied back to them quickly? And Baruch said, Yes, all provision will be had. They will be taken care of. Our God is faithful. But hard times are ahead. Nothing will remain as it has been. The saints around the world will have to put their trust in God and not the ways of man. Provisions will be given each day as the needs arise. In other words, I said, give us this day our daily bread, right? Give us this day. 
He went on to say, This will be how faith will be exercised in the coming days. The days of excess are at a close. All will be required to lean on their faith, as more faith and grace will be supplied and imputed. All right. Baruch said, Most of those in larger UBM who have been partaking of the unleavened bread will remain where they are, especially those residing on the other continents of the globe. God, their Father, has plans to use them where they are for His elect. Tell them to be faithful in their spiritual growth and receiving the gifts their Father has to bestow upon them so that they can meet the needs of His elect in their countries. Amen. And I also know that some have received uh, revelations that they will be brought here and to be a part of this base, but many will be like he says. Okay, salt, uh, uh, Baruch goes on to say, must remain scattered or else it will bring death to the soil. Eve said, in other words, the spiritual command to go into all the world and be fruitful and multiply. Yes. And let them not hear the admonishment of the Apostle Paul, he said, for when by reason of time you ought to be teachers, you have need again that someone teach you the rudiments of the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of solid food. For every one that partaketh of milk is without experience of the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for full-grown men, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. I want to say in the apostate church there are many babes, and they stay that way. Okay, And this, of course, was Hebrews five twelve through 14 on a lighter note, <laughs> David asked, If we believe, will the Lord curse all the pests on this mountain and around and under the house? And Eve said, I am seeing a vision of an angel standing in the backyard with a flamethrower. He is awaiting our command of faith to sweep this mountain with fire and kill all the pests. So we prayed and commanded it to be done. Yeah. Well, the infestations of millipedes are dead, and we believe the surrounding area of mice, ticks, chiggers are dead too. Praise the Lord. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that over history we've had a, a great amount of this. We haven't, you know. But just recently we've had a little bit. We think it was sent, of course, by the faction. So it's over. And David asked, If I believe, will you fix my tractor <laughs> or your mechanic angels? And Baruch said, Yes, it will be healed. Because I use the term healing. He used it, you know. Only believe and don't doubt. All things with God are free. Lay hands on it in faith and keep using it. Well, we've been using it that way, but we've kind of been limping along with it, okay? But um, I, I went out one time by faith and commanded it to get unjammed, and it did. And I drove it to the top of the mountain. 
So anyway, Eve said, Baruch himself will not fix it, but I had a vision of two angels in blue jean overalls over their robes, <laughs> holding tools in each hand near the red tractor, waiting. <laughs> so I thought, uh, I better not keep them angels waiting. Let me say that this tractor had front-wheel drives on the front two wheels, of course, and the drive gears on one side broke and jammed up that wheel so that it couldn't be used. And we replaced the gears, which were expensive. So later the other side gears broke and uh, jammed up, but I decided I wanted God to fix them this time, which I've seen him do many times, things like that, physical healings of mechanical things and so on. So when Baruch said this, I, I went out to the tractor and laid my hands on the gear housing and commanded it to be healed or restored in Jesus' name. Then I jumped on the tractor and went down my mountain driveway pretty fast. Normally, if a gear jammed the wheel, it could have flipped the tractor around or broken the housing, uh, which was pretty expensive, would be pretty expensive, you know. But it was smooth and no noise at all. I went to the mailbox, turned around on the blacktop, which causes one front wheel, of course, to go faster than the other, and there's no differential in the front of the tractor. So this puts a severe strain on those gears, and they performed perfectly. I drove to the top of the hill with no problems. This could only be done if the broken steel gears were removed and the new ones were installed along with the oil changed to get the pieces out that would, of course, jammed it up again. So they did a perfect and complete job. And, by the way, this was done in a moment. <laughs> this is another confirmation to you that these angels are true. <laughs> I hope you followed me in all this. And if you need to go back and either read it or listen to it again, do so. This is a really awesome training uh, for uh, you for the times to come. And I know that's why the angels have been given permission to appear unto us and to give us this direction. And we're asking questions that are coming to our mind, you know, as we speak with them. And uh, we want to continue this if uh, the Lord will continue. We want to continue with this. And uh, so for your education, especially for the days to come, for our education <laughs> and for your education for the days to come, that this will be a blessing to you. And you will know that you have authority to send the angels to do these things. And uh, especially to defend you against your enemy and uh, to go and help others around you, and so on and so forth, and to change situations. And uh, we have, uh, you know, a large group of uh, factious people warring against us constantly. Of course, everybody's learned faith in this way and learned not to uh, break the laws of love that God has in His Word so that we too would be taken captive by these demons.
So it helped us to be very, very careful um, in how we treat one another. And uh, so we don't fall into the same traps that these people did, and some of them totally reprobated. Um, and so that uh, we also would grow in uh, the power against the curse. You know, the curse was sent by God. Read Deuteronomy 28, right? It was sent by God against those that were contrary to his ways. Uh, but we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who bore the curse for us. So if it looks like a curse, believe me, you can send the angels against it. Okay, because we were delivered from the curse. And if it looks like a curse, it is a curse. Okay, if it looks like a blessing, it is a blessing. And um, the Lord said, I will bless those that bless you, speaking to Abraham and his seed, and I will curse those that curse you. All right. Thank you so much, Father, for this education. You are so kind and merciful to us, and we love you so much. And we're looking forward to the eighth day <laughs> when you pour out your gifts upon us. And I pray everybody will obey those, obey those uh, rules that were given for the seven-day spiritual fast and come to the eighth day in praising God and thanking Him for the gifts He's bestowing upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and keep you. And Michael Hare is going to follow me with... Um, a teaching and a revelation, and I pray, God, that everyone will uh, listen and uh, grow in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I just praise you and I glorify you for the times that we're in now. Exciting times, Lord. And Father, I ask and I pray that you be with us today to give out this word about discipleship and love, your love. And I praise you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for doing the things that you're doing in us and through us. In the name of Jesus. Well, all right, that's what I want to talk about, discipleship and love. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to continually study the Word, and compare it to our walk with the Lord to see if we're obeying what He wants for us. Well, why? Because there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death, it says in Proverbs 14 and 12. We may think to ourselves that we're doing what's expected of us, but just because we think we're going down the, that narrow road don't mean that we are. And that folks, can be very dangerous, and it can lead to spiritual death, and that's according to scriptures. Matthew 7 and 21, it says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. So let's take a look at Jesus' final instructions to see if we as Christians are doing the will of the Father and are indeed following what Jesus commanded us to do. Okay? Matthew 28 and 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go ye, that's us, 
therefore and make disciples, that's a learner and a follower, of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus does not command us to make believers or Christians, okay? He commands us to make learners and students or disciples. Are you just a Christian or are you a disciple? Now, here's the difference between what we call Christians compared to what Jesus considered a disciple. A Christian don't look anything like what Jesus calls a disciple. Believers back then were called Christians by the pagans because they were Christ-like. That ain't true today. Most of today's Christians simply believe in Jesus, go to church every Sunday while living the rest of the week for themselves and their families. They don't study the Word of God as it's needed ought to do. And the life for the average Christian is all about us, our family, our needs, and we never truly give our lives to Jesus. You know, most Christians say they've given their lives to Jesus, but when you examine their lives and compare them to the rest of the world, you can't tell the difference. On the other other hand, those who are disciples are continually at the feet of Jesus, reading and learning and they're studying and they're doing his word. And they seem to be more interested in the things of God than the things of the world. A disciple is what each and every one of us is called to be. We're called to be pupils. We're called to be students of everything Jesus taught. Jesus commanded us to go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations. But instead, we've only made Christians, so to speak. What good is it to God's kingdom if we only lead an unbeliever to Christ, making him a Christian and never making him a disciple? Jesus warned us about Christians who are not disciples. He calls it not bearing fruit. And here's a parable Jesus told us about the importance of bearing fruit. Luke chapter 13 and 6. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. God has fig trees of Christians throughout the vineyard or the world, so to speak. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard that he came seeking fruit on it and found none. God's looking for the fruit of Jesus in every one of his believers, you know. Then verse 7, And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him and said, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. If we bear no fruit, you're going to be cut down. 
Jesus wants to teach us and make us disciples so that we'll bear the fruit of Christ. But you know, there's so few want to be a learner and a pupil of the Word of God. It's so much easier to pray the sinner's prayer while going ahead and living the life that you now have without having to die to yourself. I believe in the parable of the sower. Jesus sows the difference between those who are Christians in name only and those who are disciples. Mark chapter 4 and verse 3 says, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And Jesus explains that verse. He says, the sower, in verse 14, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. That's the people who never become Christians or disciples. The word of God didn't even sprout in their heart. And we'll see where the word does sprout and a Christian is born. In verse 5, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And that means not much learning or teaching or discipleship. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. That's no learning or discipleship. Verse 6, and when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it weathered away. Then Jesus explains what it means. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. That's that one-time sinner's prayer, right? Verse 17, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. These plants were Christians. But they didn't have any root. They had nothing to draw from. They didn't have any teaching, no learning, or discipleship. Then verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And Jesus goes on to explain this type of plant or Christian. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. We remember what Jesus says that will happen if you don't bear fruit. In verse 8, another seed fell into good soil, that's teaching and learning, and produced grain growing up and increasing the yielding, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And then Jesus explains about those who are disciples in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. There's a difference between what we loosely call Christians today and what the Bible calls a disciple. That's why we have Jesus commanding us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. That is, make learners enroll as a scholar, teaching them to observe all things he commanded. Being a disciple was not just reserved for the original 12 that you read about in the Bible. It was for every believer who wanted to learn from Jesus and follow his ways. 
Y'all remember the, the man who used his tomb to bury Jesus? Well, he was a disciple too. Look at Matthew 27 and 57. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. Folks, we are all commanded to be disciples of Jesus. Now, let's take a look at what Jesus says it takes to be a disciple. Luke fourteen thirty three. So therefore, whosoever he be of you that renounces not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Did, really, did Jesus really say that? What, what do we have to give up? We have to give up all that we have. Now, the Greek word that Jesus uses when he says to renounce all, that word is apatosama, <laughs> which means to literally say adieu. And that means departing or dismissing. Figuratively, to renounce, bid farewell, forsake, take leave, send away. Okay, that's Strong's Concordance. So we are to say adieu. We're supposed to say goodbye to all we consider our own. Well, what does all leave out? It don't leave nothing out, does it? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you just blindly give all you have away. You still need a place to lay your head at night, don't you? What this means is all that you have, all that you own, you no longer consider it to be yours, that it's now God's, that you're just the steward of that which God has blessed you with. And if you see somebody in need, you give to them because the Bible commands you to do this. You simply let the Lord speak to your heart and give and help others where he tells you. That's what it means to renounce all that you have. Now, it does sound pretty strict and very radical to give up everything. Maybe we're taking the scriptures out of context. Well, let's just see if there's any other scriptures that confirm that we must renounce all. It says, at the mouth of two witnesses of the three shall every word be established. Second Corinthians 13 and 1. Let's look at Matthew sixteen twenty four as our next witness. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever would save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what shall a man be profited if he shall gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his life? Now, Jesus is not only saying that we have to give up everything and renounce it, but we also have to give up our lives and follow him. Is Jesus really saying that we must lose our lives? Surely he ain't talking about... uh all believers, maybe he was just speaking to the original 12 that followed him. Does he really mean that for you and I? What does Jesus mean by deny yourself and take up your cross? Well, it means that we have to die to our old worldly selves by spiritually going to the cross, just like Jesus did. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, but before his physical death, he died spiritually to the world and 
to every fleshly desire and temptation. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Our Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every area of his flesh, just like you and me. Whatever your flesh wants, you have to kill it. You have to turn from it and turn to the things of God. What did Jesus die to that we're supposed to die to? He died to unrighteous anger, unforgiveness, and revenge. Jesus was whipped, beaten, insulted, called the devil, was blasphemed a whole lot of times, but Jesus was not bitter. He wasn't looking to get revenge on his arch enemies, the Pharisees. He forgave everyone. Are you putting your flesh to the cross like Jesus did? Jesus died to greed, covetousness, and the love of money. Satan offered Jesus all the riches of the world if he would just bow down and worship him. But Jesus didn't. Jesus rebuked the money changers who were buying and selling in God's temple. Jesus didn't want more stuff. The Bible calls that covetousness. In Luke chapter 12 and 15, it says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus wasn't working to be comfortable when he retired, are you? Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Jesus put these temptations to the cross and only wanted to do the will of his Father in heaven. He said in John 5 and 30, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus died to self and only did his Father's will. And we have to do that also, to do the Father's will instead of our own will. And if we can do God's will instead of our own, then we have truly taken up our cross and died. Jesus did it before he went to the physical cross, and we need to, too. Jesus was tempted to love his family more than God. But Jesus said that his flesh and blood, his brothers and sisters, and his mother were not his family at all. Only those who did the Father's will were his family. Mark chapter 3 and verse 33, and he answered them, who are my mother, mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Are you spending more time on your family than on God? Jesus put that fleshly desire to the cross and we ought to too or we can't ever be his disciple. Luke fourteen twenty five. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, 
cannot be my disciple. Now the Greek word for hate is meseo, which means to detest by extension, to love less. Is Jesus telling us to hate the person or to detest the worldly life of both you and your family? And since there's no other scripture that commands us to hate another person, we have to understand that we must love God more than our families and our own lives. Jesus was our example, and he put this part of his flesh to the cross well before his physical body went to the cross. Matthew 10.37 says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Have you truly put God before your family? And the time that you spend with these is going to give you the right answer. Jesus put to death fleshly temptations like pride, jealousy, and the lust for power. He was never jealous of others, even though the scribes and Pharisees were held in greater respect. Jesus refused Satan's offer to be king of the world. When the Jewish people tried to make him king of Israel, Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world and that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Although the people were in awe with his teaching and his authority, Jesus never got puffed up and he was always a servant to others. What are you good at doing that people compliment you? What are the things that make you proud and a little puffed up? And it could even be that you feel you know the Bible better than other Christians. Folks, repent and put that pride to the cross and follow the example of Jesus. How about the pleasures of life and worldly passions? Jesus put to death the temptation to just have fun and please his flesh. You'd think that with the abilities Jesus had to walk on water and load up nests with fish, that Jesus would have taken a few days off to go fishing to have a little fun. No. Jesus took his flesh to the cross every day. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience, Hebrews 5 and 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to, to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Listen, this may be hard for you to understand how Jesus, who didn't sin, had to learn obedience. But remember, he was flesh and blood with the sin nature of Adam in his flesh just like me and you. Yet Jesus suffered in the flesh and became perfect. In the Greek, that means complete. Only after Jesus suffered all the temptations in the flesh and died to self was he made complete and a perfect example for us. How are you doing with those worldly possessions and the things of this world? 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, our flesh wants what pleases us. 
but God wants us to take up our own cross and follow him. What was Jesus concerned about? Was he concerned about money? Was he concerned about his family? Was he concerned about a career advancement, being happy, retirement? He wasn't concerned about any of those things that you and I worry about. Jesus' only concern was to do his Father's will and to obey him completely. And that's what Jesus means when he commands you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. All you worked so hard for in this world, you can't take a bit of it with you at the end. The only thing you can take with you is what you have done for God. Matthew 6 and 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You only get this one chance to store up your treasures real wisely. So I would act accordingly. Luke chapter 9 and 57 says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you submitted to Jesus? Is he your head? Jesus is looking for believers to make him their head and truly follow him. Verse 59, and he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And since becoming a born-again believer, have you grown in your walk with Jesus or have you stagnated in your growth? And since you put your hand to the plow or became a Christian, have you looked back at the world and what it offers or are you plowing forward in the kingdom of God while keeping your eyes focused on Jesus? Luke 6.26 says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do, and not do the things which I say? Are you learning and growing in your faith, taking up your cross daily and following Jesus? Or are you just living your life for yourself and all in the name of being a Christian? Folks, these are hard questions you have to answer and judge about yourself. Scripture tells us all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3 and 12. Are you being persecuted in this season in your Christian walk? If not, maybe you're not really living that godly life in Christ Jesus that Paul talks about in the above verse. If you ask most Christians, they will say that, yeah, they're living a godly life in Christ, but the Bible does not lie, folks. It says, if you are indeed living a godly life, you will be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted by your friends. You're going to be persecuted by your family or whoever that evil one brings against you. 
And to the degree of persecution you're receiving from friends, family, and others, that's often the test to see if you really are a disciple or a Christian in name only. Obeying God's word will cause the world to hate you because God's word is completely opposite to the world's way of doing things. John chapter 15 and verses 18 and 19 says this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world loves most Christians today. But a disciple will be hated in this world, even in their own families. Matthew ten thirty four. Think not that I came to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that doth not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. So your decision to be a disciple and not just a Christian, it's not going to go well with your friends and your family. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you will seem strange and different to those around you and people won't understand what you're doing they won't and they're going to think that you're some kind of a religious fanatic or some kind of a weirdo and they might even say that you need more balance in your life jesus warns us that there will be division because darkness can't stand the light that darkness which used to be in you and which is still in your friends and loved ones It's going to fight against you, all of that light that's in you. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 29. He that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. So also it is now. Yep, that's true. Those who are truly born again will be persecuted by those who are living in the flesh. Even the own family members will be their persecutors. They'll be their worst enemies. And if you're truly doing what Jesus commands of you to be a disciple, then their spirit is going to war with your spirit, which is Christ, unless they too have chosen to be a true follower of Jesus and not a follower by name only. And then they're going to be against you if that's the way they're going to do it. So you need to know it and you need to expect it because Jesus has already said it's going to be that way. Matthew 10 and verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. 
For it's not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Praise God. Not only will you be hated by your own family member for completely following Jesus, you may be betrayed or put to death by your loved ones too. Can you handle that? Are you willing to pay this price? And are you still willing to put your hand to the plow without looking back? Can you afford to not pay this price? That's the answer. That's the question. Luke seventeen thirty two. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to gain his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Why did Jesus mention Lot's wife? Well, that is a lesson for us to not turn back to our former life, nor to the ways of the world. Jesus once again warns us not to save our lives or we'll lose our eternal life. He warns that we have to die to our earthly life in order to gain eternal life. And that means we have to become disciples and not just Christians. Folks, this wasn't a new concept to the early church in Paul's day, but today, with the abundance we have in America to lose our life and give all to the Lord, seems like radical craziness and sadly can be a very difficult decision to make. And I think if you were living in Africa or some third world country, it might be much easier because there wouldn't be very much to give up. But here in America, we live in comfort. We live in ease. And to do what Jesus commands of us is just so much harder to do because we have such an abundance of material things to give up. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. That's the cost of following Christ. Suffering all things as loss and counting it as rubbish to gain Christ. How long is this life compared to eternity? Folks, isn't eternity worth whatever the price is in this life? After all, God's not asking us for what isn't his to begin with, folks. <clears throat> and even though there's a whole lot more to say, I'd like to finish with some soul-searching questions that only you can answer for yourself. Are you worthy of Jesus? Have you taken up your cross and honestly followed him? Have you lost your life in this world yet? This is what Jesus says it takes to be worthy of him. Examine your life to see if you're finding your earthly life or losing your earthly life. From when you wake to when you go to work, how much time is spent on your life and how much time is spent on the Lord? When you, from when you are at work until you get home, how much time is spent on your life and how much time is spent on the Lord? 
from when you get home from work until your head hits the pillow, how much time is spent on your life and how much time is spent on the Lord? Folks, these aren't hard questions to answer and the answers will tell you exactly whose life you're living. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Luke 6 and 46. So be honest and ask yourself, for whom are you living your life? Jesus said over and over that unless we lose our life, we'll not gain our life. Do you have eternal life? Jesus is not looking for people that just believe in him. James 2 and 19 says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Because Jesus is looking for disciples that will make more disciples. That's his command. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So are you a disciple? That's the question you need to ask yourself. Now, what I'd like to do now is go to one of the most talked about words in the entire New Testament. You know what that is? It's love. <laughs> L-O-V-E, love. John thirteen thirty four says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We are commanded to love one another, and this love is the fruit of the Spirit, or the proof that we're disciples of Christ. And it ain't just going to church every Sunday either. It's that love of God that flows from our heart to others. Do we have that kind of love in our hearts for each other, or is it only a shallow love that's just skin deep? And as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, are we manifesting the fruit of Jesus? Anybody can attend church or anybody can read their Bibles, but not everybody has the fruit of love. God's love that exudes from their innermost being and out towards others. And in fact, if we just spend some time around other Christians, we'll know by their actions and we'll know by what comes out of their mouths if they truly have Jesus in them. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse nine says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for every anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. That love word there in the Greek is agapeo. Okay. Why are our actions important? Because we're going to be judged one day by our actions and not by the faith we thought we had. And if you don't believe that you're going to be judged by your actions instead of your faith, then let's see what Jesus said on this matter. Matthew 25 and 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, 
and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the, on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. One group of believers not only had faith, but also showed the Lord's agape love and didn't even realize they were doing these things for Jesus. They just did it unto others out of the pure agape love in their heart. And they followed the golden rule in Romans 13 and 9, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These believers were manifesting the fruit of Jesus living in them, even being taught by God how to love. First Thessalonians 4 and 9 says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Yep, the true believer is taught by God to love, while the other group of people who are either non-believers or Christians in name only, Yes, these Christians may have said they had faith, but they only had the emotional phileo type of love for others. They had no agape love that welcomed a stranger, no agape love that fed or clothed others. And they too didn't even realize that it was Jesus whom they had rejected by not showing that self-sacrificing love. James chapter 2 and verse 15 says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does that profit? Folks, these ghosts had hidden their eyes and hidden their love from those who needed it most. They may have said with their mouth that they loved their neighbor, but with their actions they proved otherwise. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17 says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love or agape of God abide in him? 
You know, the Bible says there's another requirement besides just believing in Jesus. First John 3.23 says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, even as he gave us commandment. These goats didn't didn't even love themselves. They only said they loved their uh, fellow men. They only had a love that went skin deep. And these goats didn't show that agape love of doing for their fellow men. That was Christ requires in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? So let's all let our love be manifested by our actions instead of just our words. If Jesus is truly our Lord and Master, then we should all strive to do what Jesus commands us to do. Now, then I like to look at the reasons why most people only have their skin-deep phileo type of love. Then we're going to take a look at what it takes to have that agape love that God requires. Whether one is an unbeliever or just a Christian by name only, the unsaved or the unregenerate man has no hope of manifesting the agape love of God. And that person that has never been born again and has never been given a new heart and a new spirit, they ain't got no hope of ever being able to love like Jesus. Without God changing us and giving us that new heart, we have no hope of showing God's agape love. He says in Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And that's what happens when we become born again. God gives us a new heart and a new spirit. Jesus Christ living in us is the only reason we have hope of having God's love coming out of us. And without that born again spirit of Jesus Christ living in us, you're going to have a very shallow love for others. We might even see those who call themselves Christians and those who say that they're saved or that they're born again, but their fruit is what's going to prove whether they're really saved or not. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 17 through 20. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, as Christians, do we have that good fruit growing on our tree? That self-sacrificing agape love? Or do we have the bad fruit of a very shallow self-serving love? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 39 says, But I say unto you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. A Christian that can truly forgive and turn the other cheek 
is showing that agape love by his actions. He's willing to take the evil coming against him and even turn the other cheek in order to get the hurt again. That is what God does for us. He turns the other cheek, even when we keep hurting him by our actions and our disobedience. God continues to give us opportunities to hurt him while we try and get this walk of holiness down. And that's the type of love we have to have for our fellow man. And instead of agape love, we see unforgiveness and bitterness from those who call themselves Christians. This unforgiveness and bitterness doesn't manifest God's agape love, but manifests a love that is only skin deep. And you're going to hear people say, I forgave them, but it's going to be by their fruit that they prove otherwise. Instead of turning the other cheek, they no longer talk or associate with that person that hurt them. And, and yeah, with their mouth, they confess they've forgiven that person, but by their actions, they confess the opposite. And God sees right through this false forgiveness. He sees that they won't associate nor speak to that person any longer. They say, I forgave them, but I ain't forgetting. I've heard that a lot. This is not how God forgives us. This is how our Heavenly Father forgives His children in Hebrews 8 and 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Glory be to God. Man's type of love and forgiveness, folks, is not God's agape, agapeo love. That's unconditional. God's love is that self-sacrificing love that considers others before themselves. The person who says that they forgive, yet they still hold on to something against their neighbor, they only have that phileo love, and that's only skin deep. So we have to examine ourselves to see what's in our hearts. And if we have somebody who we no longer associate with, or we have someone who we no longer speak to because they hurt us, we've got unforgiveness in our heart. We don't have agape love. And that's real serious as only one unforgiven sin will keep us out of heaven. Jesus says that if we don't forgive, we'll not be forgiven. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Folks, true forgiveness is proven by our actions and not our words. When we have truthfully forgiven another from our heart, we will agapeo love our enemies. Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Truly love it. Somebody who continually hurts you is not just saying you love and forgive them, but it's doing good to those who hate you. Blessing those who curse you and praying for those who abuse you. That's loving with our actions and not just our words. This is God's love and this is the agape love he requires of each one of us. If we have 
even a hint of unforgiveness in our hearts, it's going to be impossible to manifest God's love towards others. We have to prove by our agape or agapeo love with our actions, and that includes forgiveness. Otherwise, we're proving that we only have that human brotherly love that all men have. Even the vilest of men have that emotional skin-deep phileo type of love for their friend. And that's why Jesus told us that many are called, meaning invited, but few are chosen. That's the elect. The Apostle Paul shows us what the elect or chosen of God is going to look like in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Folks, love is the bond that makes us perfect in Christ. Because if we're truly loving our neighbor as ourselves, then all these actions of mercy, kindness, humility, patience, and forgiveness, that's going to come as your first nature. And that's, this will be your nature because you're taking on the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, that the word name in Greek means nature, character of Jesus Christ. And that's love. Well, God bless you. I'm out of time. We'll see you next week. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart in you I find. Mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. 
Jesus.